Hi, it's Dom here, pastor at Assemble Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you find what you're looking for today and that you are challenged, inspired, and equipped to live out the life that God has for you. Enjoy the message today. We are looking today at our final uh, installment in our series on the names of God. We're going to be looking this morning at Jehovah Jireh, our God who provides. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time in the Old Testament looking at where this name for God comes from. And then we're going to head into the New Testament and see what does Jesus say about God's provision. Does that sound good? Awesome. So let's pray before we start. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you uh, that we can open it. We can speak about it together. We can learn together about who you are. I pray this morning, Lord, that you teach each one of us something new about who you are uh, and that we go from this place, not just with that knowledge, but with something that we can take into our lives and into our weeks. Amen. Amen. So the passage we're going to be looking at first this morning is Genesis chapter 22. And this is the account of where Abraham takes his son Isaac up the mountain uh, to sacrifice him on the instruction of God. Now, this story ends with the provision of God, and I feel like I need to say that now, because if you've not read this account and you're hearing that God has told Abraham to take Isaac up a mountain, I don't want you to be living with the stress of what might happen as we go through this. So it all comes good in the end. I feel like you need to know that now. So um, this story is as much about Abraham's faith, his obedience, his willingness to sacrifice, as it is about God's provision. And all of those things of Abraham, that faith and that obedience, they're all a precursor to the provision of God that we see at the end of this account for Abraham. So let's start in Genesis chapter two, uh, 22 sorry, uh, and verse 1. And it says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. So God speaks to Abraham, uh, and Abraham says, yeah, I'm here, God. He doesn't know what he's signing up for at this point. God's just shouting him, and he says, yeah, I'm here. Whatever it is, here I am. And then God says, take your son, your only son, whom you love. And you can feel this tension building as we go through this. When God is explaining to, well, I mean, Abraham knows who Isaac is to him. But we see that this this son, he loves him. And it's not just that Isaac is Abraham's only son and that Abraham loves him. But it's that um, Isaac is is an answer to prayer. Isaac is a fulfilled promise of God. So a few um, chapters back, we read about how Abraham and and his wife, Sarah, they're not able to have children and God promises them a child. And this child, Isaac, is that fulfillment of God's promise. And so he is so incredibly special to Abraham. And but God is saying to Abraham, take, take Isaac up Mount Moriah to sacrifice him. And you can imagine what Abraham's thinking, can't you, as, as God's revealing more of this. That, yep, yep, yes, Lord, this son that I love, what, what are we doing with him? Okay, we're going to Moriah. Okay, awesome. So I'm going to need to pack a bag. We're going to be off. So what are we doing when we get to Moriah? Oh, you want me to take him up a mountain and you want me to sacrifice him. Right. And God asks Abraham to sacrifice something that is of incredible value. And it kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? Why does God not just ask him to sacrifice something like a little bit less important or a lot less important? Something that Abraham wouldn't even really miss. That would be better, wouldn't it? That would be easier for everybody. A lot better. But that kind of defeats the point of sacrifice, doesn't it? 
Sacrifice isn't sacrifice if it's easy. Sacrifice has to cost us something. Sacrifice is defined as an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something regarded as more important or worthy. And so Abraham is agreeing to give up his son, who to him has incredible value and to God has incredible value. And so he must only be doing that because on the other side of the sacrifice, he sees something of more worth and more value. And it might be that what Abraham sees as having more value is his relationship with God. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe he sees a strengthening in his relationship with God. And that's what is driving him and he knows is more important. Or it might be that he knows that he's going to see something miraculous of God. And so that is what is driving him, knowing that he's going to get to see a miracle. But I think this is a real, um, a real challenge for us. And maybe one of the reasons why this account is in the Bible, why it's something that God asked of Abraham, so that us now, we can look at it and think, would we be able to make such a sacrifice? Is there anything in our lives that wouldn't work as part of this equation of sacrifice to see something more? Because in that definition we have on one side, don't we, the thing that we regard as important, but that we would be willing to give up for the thing that's on the other side, the thing that is of more importance, that is more worthy. And for us, the thing that should be on this side of more important and more worthy or most important and most worthy is God. But is there something that we wouldn't actually be able to put on the sacrifice side of this equation? Because for us, that thing is the most important and is the most worthy. And I think this is a real challenge for us because... Sometimes, if we think about, so sacrificing something now for something in the future is really difficult because the thing that we have now is certain. The thing that we have in our lives now is tangible and it's real, but the thing that we're hoping for in the future can sometimes not be as tangible. And that is where our faith comes in and the scripture talks about how faith has been sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. But it is still sometimes so much easier to be certain of the thing that we do see, isn't it? So is there something that we would not sacrifice for God? That might be our finances or our home or our our friendships with people, our relationships, our marriages, our children. Are any of those bad things for us to hold as important? Absolutely not. All those things are great things. They're important things. They're things that are a blessing to us, just as Isaac was a blessing to Abraham. They are all good things that do have value. But should they have a higher place than God? No, no, they shouldn't. Because our finances are not our God. Yahweh is. Our job is not our God. Yahweh is. Our husband or our wife is not our God. Yahweh is. Our children, they're not our God. Yahweh is. Unless he isn't. Unless there are things that we place higher in our lives than Yahweh. Because if Yahweh is not our God, then something else is. God may ask us to sacrifice the things we hold most dear to us because that's how he's able to reveal to us where our reluctances are and where our idols are. You know, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only son whom he loved because God asked him to. Because God asked him to. You know, God isn't asking us to sacrifice anything that he wouldn't sacrifice. 
God can't ask us to sacrifice anything that he wouldn't sacrifice because we see the extent of God's sacrifice through scripture. If we think of one of the most famous verses in the Bible, uh, John 3.16, we see the extent there of God's sacrifice. And we actually see this balance of the whole definition of sacrifice. The thing that is held as important and of worth versus the thing that is held of more importance and more worth. We see that God was willing to give his only son whom he loved the same as he's asking of Abraham. And he gives his son so that none may perish but may have eternal life. God sees, obviously, the worth of Jesus. But the thing that he wants more than that is for all of us to be included in an eternity with him and with Jesus. We need to make sure that there is nothing in our lives that we hold higher than God. But you know, most of us probably in this exact scenario where God is asking Abraham to take his son up the mountain and sacrifice him, most of us would probably say, I imagine, no thanks God, I think I'm going to stay here where I am with my son, thank you very much. But that is not what Abraham does. You know, Abraham has seen the hand of God over his life. He's seen in Isaac the promises of God fulfilled. He knows uh, that God is good to him. And so he trusts God and so he goes. Not only, uh, not only does he go, but in fact we read in verse 3 that he gets an early start. It says from verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And uh, when he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. You know, it's about 50 miles from where Abraham and his family were to Moriah, where God is sending him. And that is, yeah, round about this three-day three walk that we read that, um, that they take. And that is plenty of time to think about what God is asking. It's plenty of time for Abraham to think about what God is asking of him, isn't it? All that walking. I don't know if you've ever maybe been for a walk around the, the Peak District or even just locally. And when you're out and you're walking and you're not really doing much else and you're with someone else that you, maybe you're chatting through all sorts of things, you're thinking about all sorts of things, having that space in nature really gives you time to think. And, uh, and Abraham has three days of walking with Isaac and these two servants to think about what it is that God is asking of him. I don't, know, um, I don't know about you, but I've been in positions many times where I have been confident of a sacrifice that God has asked me to make. And then when it comes to the time of actually doing it, by that point, I have talked myself out of it. Because I've had three days to walk from wherever I am to where God is asking me to be. And it's enough time to talk ourselves out of it. Maybe it's that, um, I don't know, maybe you've been in church at some point and there's been a vision offering. And a couple of weeks before, it's been mentioned and you felt God drop a number into your heart. And you're like, yeah, that's sacrificial, but I'm going to give that. And then a couple of weeks later, when it comes to actually filling the form out and you think, maybe, maybe not actually, maybe I'll just put this amount. That's a bit safer. Or maybe um, you felt God ask you to um, give up some hours at work, something like that, and instead give that time into the life of the church. But then by the time it comes around to a conversation with your boss, maybe you're like review or check in or whatever that might be, by that point you've talked yourself out of it. And you're like, no, actually, do you know what? We need, we need the finance more than the church needs my time. I know that I have. I know that I've allowed uh, myself to talk myself out of, um, out of the sacrifices that God is asking. 
And for Abraham, three days of walking is a lot of time to talk himself out of what God is asking. It's enough time for him to decide he doesn't want to, to turn around and to make the journey back. But Abraham has a steadfast faith and trust in God. Even when God is asking him to give up the thing that is the most precious thing to him. And we need to be people with enduring faith that can take ourselves from the time of knowing the sacrifice God is asking of us right up to actually doing that and seeing the provision of God off the back of it. But, you know, the enemy can twist, can't he? If we think back to the Garden of Eden and uh, Satan whispers in Eve's ear, did God really say? And we can hear that over and over in our lives. Did God really say that you should give that much money? Did God really say that you should give that much time? Did God really say that you should, um, I'm trying to think of another thing to sacrifice now, but did God really say that you should do that? Do you really trust that God will come through for you, that God will provide for you? We know we need to recognize the voice of God and we need to hold tight to our convictions when we believe that we hear the voice of God, just like Abraham did. So picking up again in verse five, it says, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now there's a real blink and you miss it kind of bit here that I just want to draw our attention to. You know, Abraham uh, is taking Isaac up the mountain and he speaks to his, uh, his servants and he says, uh, we're going over there, we're going to worship and then we will come back to you. He says, we will come back to you. And there could be a number of reasons why Abraham does this. Maybe when he's talking to his servants, he doesn't want them to think that he's taking Isaac up the mountain and only Abraham's coming back down. Maybe he doesn't want Isaac to know what is happening. Or maybe... Abraham has faith that God is going to bring provision and that both of them are going to come back down the mountain. Because, you know, Abraham's holding this whole situation in tension because, as we spoke about, this child that he has, Isaac, is a promise fulfilled by God, but he's not yet the fullness of the promise that God has given him. We read back in, I think it's chapter 17, where God says that Isaac will be the father of a nation, that he will have descendants. And so... Abraham's holding that in one hand that, you know, he's not the fullness of the promise of God that I've had, but also God is asking me to sacrifice this child, even though we're not yet at the fulfillment of all those promises. And so Abraham's holding those things in tension. And so it might be that he has reconciled those things by understanding that as we read in verse one of this chapter, that it is a test by God and that they are both going to come down the mountain and that the promise of God is going to be fulfilled, that Isaac will have descendants, and that that is enough to enable him to get an early start, to walk for three days, and to tell these servants that they are both coming down the mountain. Are we that sure of God's promises that we have for us? You know, I was thinking about this, you know, well, Abraham has this promise to hold on to of Isaac and his descendants, and so of course he has faith to take Isaac up the mountain. But then I thought about it for about another two seconds and I thought, well, that's still faith there though, isn't it? That's still faith that God's promises over Isaac are true. And that everything is going to be okay because of what God has promised over Isaac. You know, faith in the promises of God becomes like a foundation for us to have more faith going forwards. It could be for us that we believe 
that God loves us and we know it deeply and we know it truly. And because we know that God loves us, that enables us to go on and do other things that he's asking of us because we know that he cares for us and that he's with us and we can walk in more and more faith over time. And these promises and the faith in these promises enables us to move forward and move deeper in our journey and our relationship with God. You know, I like to believe that Abraham said that we will come back down the mountain because he truly believed in the promise of God and he knew that they would both be coming back down the mountain. And so, and so they went up the mountain. In verse 6, it says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Just a quick aside here. There's so much foreshadowing of Jesus in this story, isn't there? We've already talked about how um, Isaac is, um, Abraham is sacrificing his only son just as God uh, does with Jesus later. But we see here that Abraham puts the wood on Isaac, just like Jesus carries his own cross. Uh, we see here Abraham putting the wood that will be used for the burnt offering onto Isaac. Uh, and he went, um, and he himself, as Abraham, carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Can you imagine that moment? How much faith that must have taken Abraham to, when his son is looking at him and saying, why are we going up this mountain, dad? What's happening? I can see we've got the wood and we've got everything that we need, but we haven't got everything we need. Where's the lamb? And Abraham knowing that it's Isaac that is the one that, is, that he's taking to sacrifice. Imagine the faith in Abraham to say, it's going to be okay. God will provide. God will provide the lamb. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, uh, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And I was thinking about this as well. That actually over in this story, Isaac is often overlooked, really. He's kind of just seen as the sacrifice that's brought up the mountain. But um, Abraham is over 100 when Isaac is born. And Isaac here is clearly old enough that he can chat with his dad and make a three-day journey and walk up a mountain. So Abraham is an old man at this point. And Isaac is a young man. And yet here we read that he, that Isaac bound his son, uh, Abraham bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. But that wouldn't have been possible with Isaac actually being, I like to say being okay with that, but Isaac could have quite easily run away. He could have quite easily fought his dad and legged it back down the mountain because he was a young man and Abraham was an old man. But we see here that Isaac goes willingly onto this altar to be sacrificed, just like Jesus goes willingly onto the altar to be sacrificed, or onto the cross to be sacrificed. And I just thought that was, we overlook Isaac in this, but he does his dad's will. He does what his dad asks him, just like Jesus does what the father asks him. So he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. The exact same interaction between God, and, between God and Abraham that we see at the start. Abraham just says, here I am, God. Whatever you need of me, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up. And there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering 
instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide Yahweh Jireh, Jehovah Jireh. And so to this day it is and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. A couple of weeks ago, uh, when David spoke about uh, Jehovah Nissi, and he said actually it's the place that is called Jehovah Nissi and not the name of God, but it translates into being a name of God too. And that's what we see here. We see that the place, Abraham calls the place Jehovah Jireh. He says the Lord will provide. But we know from um, this whole series and when we spoke about the name of God, Yahweh, we know that that name means that he is, that he will be, that he is in its completeness. And so when Abraham is saying of this place, the Lord will provide, he's saying of God, the Lord will provide. That is the, who God is. It's who he is now. It's who he will be. It's who he will continue to be. And it's God in his wholeness. You know, this, is, this account is an account that teaches us that God provides for us. We see that here. We see the provision of God when he provides this ram to be sacrificed. But it's also an account that teaches us of the faith and the obedience of Abraham and the role that faith has to play in the provision of God. You know, Abraham has unwavering faith. We see it through this story because if he didn't, there's no way that he would have made that journey. There's no way that he would have made it up the mountain. But then there's no way that he would have seen the miracle and the provision of God that came out of his faith. There's no way that he would have been there to learn more of God's character, to teach us more about God's character. You know, Abraham was obedient. He trusted and he had faith and he was willing to sacrifice what he had, what God had given him so that he could see more of God. And this, it kind of makes sense really when you think about it, because how can we, how can we see the miraculous provision of God without being in a place to see a need for the miraculous provision of God? But how can we know the miraculous provision of God without sacrifice, but how can we sacrifice without faith? And so for Abraham, we learn that faith leads to sacrifice, leads to the miraculous provision of God. And so we have a few challenges. Are we willing to trust and obey God, even if it means risking the things that are most important to us? Do we have enduring faith that allows us to journey from hearing about what God is asking of us to actually putting it in place? And are we sure enough of God's promises that when we're in that place of sacrifice, we can confidently say, we will be coming back down the mountain. Everything will be okay. God will provide. Do we have faith that leads us to be able to bring the sacrifices that God asks of us and to put ourselves in a position where we can see the provision of God? Because all of that starts with with faith. You know, Jesus also addresses this in, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, which is where we're going to turn now. And this is, um, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Jesus has just been talking about, um, it kind of links back really to what we've been talking about earlier. He talks about God and money and how we can't serve both, how one of them has to be higher than the other. Just like we talked about the balance of sacrifice. One has value, but one has more value. And in order for us to see that God has more value, we have to therefore see that money has less value. And so we move into verse uh, 25, just after uh, Jesus has been talking about this. And he says, uh, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? 
Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, Jesus in this passage is addressing this idea of anxiety, which is the opposite, really, to faith. You know, our worries about provision can deeply, can deeply affect us. They can affect our mental well-being, and that can affect our physical well-being. Worrying where, where are we going to get enough from? Sometimes even where are we going to get more from? But it can really, it can really upset us, and it can play on our minds, and it can mean that we don't sleep as well, or we don't eat as well, and then we're not physically as well. You know, Jesus isn't saying here that we shouldn't be uh, concerned about working and about kind of earning for our provision. Because, you know, the like, birds that he's talking about here, they do still go out and gather and they do their thing, don't they? And they build their nests, and they, but they go and find what they need because the provision of God is there for them. But, you know, Jesus, as he always is, is more concerned with our hearts towards these things. He's not saying that work is a bad thing, but it's our heart towards how and why we do these things that Jesus is most concerned about. He's concerned about our well-being and our wholeness and our priorities. And Jesus, as he always does, he points us to the kingdom of God. He says in, um, in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. When we put God first, when we put his kingdom first, when we have faith in God and his ways and his promises, then there will be enough of everything that we need. All these things will be added to us, Jesus says. You know, Jesus is addressing this issue of faith in partnership with the provision of God, just as we read uh, in Abraham, where we see Abraham's faith and God's provision. But do we believe that God will provide everything that we need for our lives? Do we have faith? Are we confident that everything that we need will be provided for? But, you know, I found this a challenge this week because I've been thinking and preparing and thinking about God as Jehovah Jireh because the world that we see around us doesn't always look like God is providing everything that people need. Particularly at the moment when we know that families are faced with this kind of adage that we hear of heating or eating, trying to decide what do we do? What do we do? Do we pay our bills or do we feed our children? We're all kind of faced with this rising cost of living. And so it's hard to think about God as Jehovah Jireh sometimes at the moment. But God reminded me as I was praying and asking him, he reminded me of two things. The first one, and Don mentioned this earlier, is that our lived experience does not define who God is. We may not right now be experiencing God as our provider, but God is our provider. 
And the second thing, I felt God lead me to a story in the Gospels that I'm not going to talk about too much because we've talked about it a few times over the last couple of weeks. And it's the feeding of the multitudes, where God provided what people needed. Which, you know, two key things happened in those accounts that we read in the Gospels. The first one is that the people who had provision brought it to the table. They brought it to Jesus. And then the second thing that happened is that we saw God's miraculous provision and multiplication. And we saw that everyone that was there had their needs met. Everyone had enough. You know, when we fully understand what it is to be part of God's kingdom, part of community, part of church, when we're confident to put what we have in the hands of Jesus, we bring what we have forward and we place it in his hands and we trust him to multiply it. You know, faith leads us to sacrifice, which leads to the provision of God. And that doesn't matter whether we're in a place, in fact, I say it doesn't matter. When we're in a place of need, where it's even harder to sacrifice because we don't have, our faith leads us to sacrifice and it leads us to a place where we see the miraculous provision of God. But also when we're in a place of plenty where we've got enough, we've got more than enough for us. Our faith leads us to a place where we sacrifice that more so that God can use it for the provision, not for us, but for others in the kingdom of God. Because when we are part of the kingdom of God, we're not just thinking about ourselves and our needs and our wants and what we have, but we're thinking about everyone that is part of that kingdom. You know, God is our provider, Jehovah Jireh. But his provision requires our faith and our sacrifice, not for, not for his good, but for our good. And so as we close this morning, we think about God as our provider. Let's just think about the part that we have to play in, in bringing that miracle and seeing that miracle. And our part to play is to have faith in God. It's to have faith that we want to live a life of sacrifice, knowing that what God has for us in the future, the thing that he has on the other side of the balance is of more importance. It's more worth, whether we're living in want or we're living in plenty. And you know, God does provide for us materially, but he provides so much more than that for us. He provides for us emotionally. He is our comforter. He provides... um, he provides us with family and with friends and community because that is what the church is. It brings us together and God brings us together. But most importantly, the most important thing that God provides for us is salvation. Salvation through his sacrifice. You know, when we have faith that Jesus' sacrifice for us is sufficient, then it leads us from faith to sacrifice. It leads us to a place where we sacrifice our entire lives to God and we say we lay down our wants, our needs, our desires, our dreams, and instead we put them in the hands of Jesus. And from there we see that multiplied. We see salvation. We see life eternal, just like we read in John 3.16 that we talked about. And so I'd love it if we could bow our heads and I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh. Whether we're seeing it at the moment or whether we're not, 
Lord, I pray that we can each hold on to that truth of who you are because it's who you say you are. And Lord, I pray that each of us would have faith today. Faith to know that you are our provider. Faith to know that we can we can confidently place you on the side of the balance that is the most important, the most worthy. And Lord, I pray that anything at the moment that we're feeling like maybe we wouldn't put on a side lower than you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to, would you just put a finger on those things this morning? Would you remind us who you are and who you should be in our lives, where you should be in our lives? Because if anything else, is our God. It means that you, Yahweh, are not our God. And we want to put you in your rightful place this morning. And Lord, I pray for any of us in this room who've not yet put our faith in you, who have not yet sacrificed our lives to you, and therefore have not yet seen the miraculous provision from you in terms of salvation. Lord, I pray that you would stir us this morning. That's all for now. We pray that you heard something that brought life to you today so that you may go and be the person that God called you to be. God bless you.